Uh, James, I am going to America. Oh, yay. Hooray. For work. Oh, right. Oh, well, I mean, like... <laughs> not, for, not for fun. Right. Well, fun, but, like, work. Fun. Work fun. Fun and work. Yeah. Well, it's the... the fun work? First of all, it's Texas. It's Dallas. Oh, are they going to so, have their power back on time? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Been, been seeing the snow and ice this we, week. Wait, have we got that in the run order? Texas is frozen again, everyone. Texas is frozen, yeah. So Because they don't invest in their infrastructure and they have low taxes and they can't afford to. That is true. Huh? The funny thing is, it was four years ago since we were last in Dallas for work. Okay. And I came back from that trip and was sunburned because... Right. Scottish skin in Texan heat. Naturally. Not a great mix. Yeah. But this time, having seen the uh, aforementioned weather and the fact that uh, hell has frozen over in <laughs> certain parts of the state, uh-huh. yeah, it's going to be uh, chillier. Still looks like, you know, 15, 16 next week, but uh, yeah, I'm going to be gone for five days. I will lose uh, a day or like an, an evening when we fly back because we leave on the Thursday evening and then we uh, come back in the UK and suddenly... It's the afternoon of Friday. Right, so yeah. That'll be fun. Rip, rip to that one day. Uh, and honestly, in a somber tone, like genuinely, it's, it's, a, it's again, I feel deep, deep sympathies for the Texans. Not just because they're frozen, but because you're going to be there too. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> they are in a, they are in a, in a predicament and they it are. is a horrible thing and we probably should have had it on the run order if we didn't. Uh, oh, we're talking about it now. But no, I, I, Hopefully they've recovered it um, before you're there because honestly, like if you're gonna go a place, you don't want it to be out of power because of bad infrastructure. Well, we're staying in what looks to be like a very nice hotel with about 250 other people who are all attending the same conference as we right, are. Right, 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 right. And and we are giving a seminar to kick off this conference, and it's oh. yeah to the extent that we are unsure if this was a joke or not, but they may have bought pink cowboy hats for us to wear. Wow. So we shall see. But one thing which was serious, and it's a question I wanted to ask you and to to stew over, but also for the listeners to stew over. They asked us, what would you like your walk-on music to be? Uh, Oh. So like like boxers get when they go to the ring, but for us it'll be when we go on stage, what song are they playing? Right. So let me, let me, I'll see if we can play a game of, uh, it's not quite guess who, but it's like Shazam. But in, in clue form, oh, must be a, a catcher. I'm, I'm not good at music quizzes. We've discussed this. No, no, hold, hold on. I'm confident you'll get this. And listeners, play along too. Okay, think about it. You are the John Cena music. <laughs> I mean, I suggested Slipknot, and was uh, swiftly gazumped by a much better suggestion. So, play along, everybody. <laughs> okay. You're two Scottish people going to America. Oh, What's no. your walk-on music? No, you did not. See, see if you can get it in one hour. In one hour. No. Scottish people going to America. Right, well, there's two options here. Okay. And they're both from the Proclaimers. Correct. <laughs> so you're either going to go for that one song that the Americans probably know, and you're doing a 500 miles, or you're being a letter to America. Okay, what's what's it going to be? I'm going to say 500 miles. No, no, it's lettered from America. Because we thought, we did think, right, pro- Proclaimers, every, Americans know Proclaimers, but 500 Miles They is, only know one song. It's too well known, though, whereas Letter from America... I know, that was, I was thinking that you all, with your pink elephant hats, would, uh, would want to be maximum cliche. <laughs> maximum cliche. That's what we yeah. do. That's our, our business. 
maximum cliche. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> making a good impression. Letter from America is what we've gone for, which is it's slightly cliche, a little bit stereotypical, but you know it fits in nicely, and people know the proclaimers, and me and Andrew are basically the proclaimers, so you know. Right? Are you gonna like? Except I can sing better than he can. Are you gonna do your own? Are you gonna bring guitars and just walk out, do the tune yourself? <laughs> I mean, that's not a bad idea. Actually, I could. We could have played anything like Luna on the Trains. We could have oh, gone no, for no. something really niche, but instead we've gone for mass appeal. Let's get them liking who we are. Do you Amer- Americans? I don't know how many people in America listen or ever respond. Do you know more than that one Proclaimer song? Well, our, our analytics, as we've discussed before, show that America is our second biggest market here. Yeah. Because people apparently in, was it Ohio? I think it was Ohio. In Spotify HQ. Listen to us more, like they're in second place behind Scotland, which is yeah wild. And there must be some reason for it. But yes, we, typic- we technically do. Internet rating. Anyway. You know what has happened? I now own a significant amount of debt. Hey, oh, yes. did you get it? All the paperwork is done. Hey! All the paperwork that needs to be done is done, and then there's, like, the follow-up stuff. Nice. Does that mean you are officially the owner of the place you live? I am, and it sucks. Congrats. I mean, you say it sucks. I was about to say congratulations, but maybe that's the wrong I mean, no, <laughs> it's, it, it's a big congrats moment, right? But it just means that I'm indebted. C- congrats, you know? but boo. That's not fun. Yeah. Yeah, congrats, but, man, this system sucks. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, to the extent I, I got an email from Experian, who do your credit score, right? and there was like, hey, you want to check your credit score? It's really interesting. And I clicked on it, and I am at 999 out of 999 hey. because I've been paying my mortgage with full interest rates, no deals whatsoever, and it turns out that's a great way of boosting your credit score. <laughs> oh, oh. Oh, the credit business likes somebody yes. who doesn't like get themselves a good deal. Precisely. So that's the that's the cue, everybody. <laughs> Spend money that's not yours and make other people rich, and there you'll get a good credit score. So well done, James. You've joined Man. the the world of of adults who are meant to own property by twenty one. Yeah, everybody who yeah. only ten years late. It's it's a uh, ridiculous that it is a normal thing that people. Are struggling Question. to get a to get a property at the age that I am. Did you have to cut out your avocado toast, your coffees, your cinema visits in order, your Netflix subscription in order to own own this property? No, as advised by old people. I don't, a, I don't have a car. I don't have a car. That helped a lot. That does help. Yeah. Um. I don't like go places very much. That helped a lot. Uh, also true. Yeah. I, like genuinely, I don't earn enough. To make it look like I can get a decent mortgage, but because I don't have a lot of the usual expenses, the bank does like me a bit more than you might expect. Very good. Um, so, like, that doesn't mean that people just stop buying avocado toast. <laughs> well, I mean, I've sacrificed not having car and not having like going places just so I can not have to be evicted because a bank is wanting to take right. back a property. But people you shouldn't know? people shouldn't be buying avocado toast anyway because it's disgusting. So come it's on, it's good. It's not. Yeah, are, you ha- uh, are we talking just avocado or are we talking plus egg? Well, I was. if you minus the avocado, toast is great, but... Uh, toast I mean, is great. I don't know if avocado, if the egg makes any difference to this mushy oh, man. grossness. I like, I, I haven't had it in a while, but I do like... I used to hate avocado and then I grew up. It's like up. fruit vomit. Um, but no, like, 
the, like, the narrative of like people own houses, they grow up, they get a family, they become conservative voters. It is fortunately you're, dying. Well, you're on the way that to that, right? That is not a narrative that works anymore. Um, you you well, own it, the homeowner, so so statistically, you're closer to being a Tory than you were a week ago. Yeah, now I'm a homeowner. It means I'm obligated to never vote for any party that wants to develop new properties because then it makes the value of my property increase year on year, which is yeah. the, obviously the right thing to do if you're an incredibly selfish person, which obviously if you're a homeowner, you are, right? Uh, and, and that's why they all be, vote conservative. Uh, and now by proxy as well, you hate the migrants. Obviously, because if there's more migrants, actually, well, technically, I don't, I, I can't wrap my head around that one, actually, now, <laughs> because if there's more migrants, there's more housing demand, yeah. and therefore the, pro- the value of my property goes up. Up. Yeah. So maybe I should be thankful for migrants hmm. if I'm really selfish and only care about about property value going up. There was a guy, a program that I was told about last week on the BBC, which was looking at the whole issue of migrants coming to the UK, and they interviewed a guy <laughs> who prowls the beach off. I want to say Brighton, and probably wasn't Brighton because the different kind of wait, prowling wait, goes on there. Voluntarily, voluntarily prowling the beaches. It must have been around Dover, and this like old guy. That is sad. That is. So and he's sad. basically looking out for these boats, and he's like, oh, "They can't come to my shores. This is Britain." go away and it's the final sentence was something like i i don't want them to drown i definitely do not want them to drown right but and that's where they ended the interview you also don't want them to land <laughs> indeed anyway that's uh that's gone off topic from owning a home congrats no it's this is a big one i'll have to do a celebration of some kind well, fortunately <laughs> it is the place that i did live in so i've not had to move because i've got way too much Great. stuff for one person Oh, same. I, I am dreading yeah. moving out of this place. And tell you what, because the Bank of England have put up their interest rates again. Oh, I'm sorry. My uh, mortgage payment is going to be probably double what I was paying in September as of March. So that's crazy. Uh, do we need to tell the bank if I move in with into your spare room and just give you lots of money? No, no. Uh, sorry, no. money. No, no. <laughs> we don't. Well, no, the bank. Right, it's a, it's a. Sh- everybody, it's a secret. We're not telling anyone that I am going to be lodging at James's. I can double check my my mortgage agreement and stuff, but as far as I was aware, it was just like. But who checks these things? Like it, nobody does. You just turn up and be like, oh, he's he's on these crowd. He's I was going to say crowd surfing. No, he's couch surfing. Oh yeah, he's he's been here for two days. It's just a <laughs> exactly. two day thing. Come on, bank, go away. But no, like because there are different agreements with with mortgages where you can or you can't do like right. sublet. To some official level, so. but this isn't subletting. It's just like having someone stay exactly for uh, basically until we find a house. Well, Colin, what if you knock down like one of my walls and devalue the property? The sure. bank will be very upset. That is a risk you are having to take, my friend. Because <laughs> that's one thing I want to do: just move in and start knocking stuff down. That's, that's what I'm known for. It is. It is <laughs> tearing one another down. That's what we do on this show. Seesaw Parade, episode three zero five. I'm was kidding. terrible. We're just to tear you down a little bit. We're very supportive. That was an awful segue. <laughs> off each other, but we tear down lots of other people because they're terrible. We do. We do. As we will today. So keep on listening. We will. For this inspiring content. I'm Colin. He's James. Yeah. And we're still here. Episode 305. Thank you very much for listening. You, of course, can get in touch with the show at Seesoperate on Twitter and Seesoperate at gmail.com. Thank you to everybody who got in touch this week. Also, have another review to play for you. So, dear listeners, if you have watched a TV show... For example, The Last of Us, which I keep seeing with amazing reviews. Ah, I love it. Are you? Are you watching? You're. Yeah. Is it episode by episode, or have they binge the entire it's, thing? It's, 
it's HBO, so it's the trickle. Okay, well, the trickle, I think, works. It's good. With a, with a show as good as a usual good HBO show, it works, yeah. Okay, well, if you, dear listener, are watching The Last of Us or finished a movie or you're watching something because it's been nominated for Oscars like I did, oh. then please do let us know what you think. Seesawparade at gmail.com. But before we get all to that fun and games, we're going to talk about ministerial sackings. We're going to talk about police being... Yay. Terrible uh, and um, Chinese floating balloons into America. I mean, that's how I'm going to get into the country next week <laughs> via the Chinese. I don't think that that, that part would go so well. I'm just going to float and see where I land. That would be that would be adorable. <laughs> I can see also why you would not use the 500 miles uh, song if if that was your means of transport. Because I would fly. Right, that's enough. That was terrible. Just to tear you down a bit. <laughs> okay, let's talk some real news. Let's start with Nadim Sahawi. So he has been sacked as chairman of the Tory party after, surprise, surprise, an inquiry found he had failed to disclose, he'd failed to tell anyone that his tax affairs were being investigated. How about that? So, despite the fact we've been talking about this for two weeks, it took up until four days ago until Mr Zahawi was finally sacked. So the Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, said that the inquiry by Sir Laurie Magnus had made it clear that there had been a serious breach of the ministerial code, which is funny because there have been several of those in the past and there hasn't been this... uh, this result. So we'll come back to that. True, but Rishi Sunak, uh, he had asked for this probe after Mr. Zahawi admitted he had paid a settlement to HMRC, including a penalty. And essentially, the inquiry found that Mr. Zahawi had missed several chances to be open about his tax. And instead, he kept quiet, particularly when he was chancellor. In charge of the money. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. And he didn't tell anyone Honestly. that he was being investigated for his tax. Crazy. Wow. <laughs> James, reaction? I mean, obviously, he needed to be fired. Well done for actually doing it, I guess. He did. It just took so long. It's just more signs of weakness. Why? Because Sunak and, the, and all the Tories are incredibly weak. And they don't want to anger their friends. Okay. They don't know whose votes are going to matter next week and next month and stuff like that. So they, they're too scared to do anything that is like risking a, coll- a collegial relationship, you know? Yeah, fair enough. So no firing, no trouble. We investigate, we investigate. And usually they just investigate long enough until the headlines move on. And then they say, oh yeah, there was a mistake, but it was in the past. <laughs> He's been suspended for a week. Yeah, exactly. So it's just it's another sign of weakness in Sunak. And, and you're, we're even seeing some Tory MPs coming out to talk about how weak the leadership is again. And it just... I'm wondering how long it's going to take before any of those Tories realize that it's a party problem, not just like a string of coincidences. Right. The only difference this time, though, is that 
Rishi Sunak sacked him, whereas with True. previous ministerial Slightly code stronger. breaches, and I'm thinking of the previous administrations under Boris Johnson, there were, what, half a dozen of these and nobody was sacked. In fact, sometimes Boris Johnson went against what the inquiry found and was like, yeah. uh, I don't think actually that they broke the code, so they stay. Yeah, so I think... So that's what's different this time. I think that possibly Sunak is just less arrogant. There's just a slightly less, like, level of... Of, of pure arrogance in the person so it, it, unlike Boris probably recognises that you can't just do what you want every single time uh, but obviously still is way too slow to make any decisions because as soon as you hear that there is a penalty right you know or as soon as you hear that you've been fined by HFRC it's like well obviously you're not good enough to be in our party right now you're representing the country and you're representing our party for that country so you're out on day one, as far as I'm concerned. But no, they keep doing this really slow trickle of investigate, and then turns out maybe sometimes they lose a job. But you know, I guess part a big part of it is how he was just the he was just the Tory chair, right? This doesn't feel significant either. Right. Like, so he's not like the second in command or cabinet minister or something like but, that. But he. But it's the problem that he was the former chancellor. Oh, yeah, yeah. So he was, so he was in charge of the money. Yeah, so he was the old second man. Right. And the problem here is that it's less about the the error because, I mean, I'd, I'm sure he clearly did something very, very wrong because he paid a massive penalty for it. Well, but yeah. he said, his quote was, this was careless. It wasn't deliberate. It was deliberate, so, yeah. May, which I yeah I I struggle to believe, but to me you don't accidentally sign up a forms in someone else's name and stuff like that. Correct. S- yeah. So to me though, it's not so much about what was the investigation about. It's the fact that he didn't. He just kept it all to himself, and that was what See, Sir Laurie wrote in this report. He said, "Mr. Zahawi's omissions of information constituted constituted sorry yeah. a serious failure to meet the standards set out." And he also criticised Zahawi for describing news stories about his tax affairs as smears yeah, yeah, yeah. in July of last year, and only correcting the record yeah. this month, so or January. So it took him six months to go from, oh, by the way, those tax stories are smears, to, oh, actually, I was lying, and I have been investigated for quite some time, and I paid five million pounds in tax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, it's 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 a, it's an interesting it's an interesting one. I do think though that just not being a chancellor at this point and anything like that makes him more fireable. I think if he was still the number two guy for the for the party or any any significant seat, he might not have been as easily fireable. Okay. And the fact it took two weeks for somebody who's just a chair is is a is a flag. A couple more points then, because this uh, this piece here from the BBC is analysing why the gap between finding out that Mr. Zahawi had done this and then Rishi Sunak actually firing him. And as you've touched on oh, there, James, right, yeah. uh-huh. privately says this piece, some ministers are seeing this as naive or too nice, because Mr. Sunak's judgment is born of his character. Says this piece, and he's wanting to to see the, what the facts and the process is rather than acting on instincts. Except so we knew the facts. That, to me, though, is, is, a, is a flaw, particularly when you're, what, the fifth prime minister of the Conservatives in this current run, and your opinion polls are um, yeah. ter- terrible, and your backbenchers do nothing. I think that even the, the wording of articles from the BBC and other report reports on it are just, they're too nice, because... It's all about like, oh, they, they wanted to do an investigation. Well, they wanted to do another investigation, right? There was investigations done and the information was public and verified. Doing another one isn't necessary. You can do another one afterwards to validate your your decisions, 
but you can still make a decision first. And it could have been suspension. It could have been sure. uh, the full on fire. It could have been anything. But it was just kind of like, oh, no, sit on our hands and wait again. Okay, final question before we move on. Is Dominic Rab up next? <laughs> because we've talked about this. This is the Deputy Prime Minister. Oh, man. So he has been and is being investigated for eight formal complaints of bullying including various things we've talked about on the show before. He urged or told various staff members to throw themselves out of windows, slit their own throat, all sorts of really horrendous stuff. Yeah. And that, to me, seems like a ticking time bomb. But once again, Rishi Sunak is waiting, yeah. doing nothing. And I, I feel like it's a, it's a similar thing where when you've got accusations of bullying or any sort of abuse or any, anything along these lines... Your initial response can be, all right, you're going to be sat aside for it until this is resolved, right? We see that in all sorts of careers. Somebody's in trouble right. or somebody's maybe <laughs> going to get criminally charged with things. You set them aside and that's a good thing to do because it protects the the, the victims uh, or the accusers until okay. the investigations or cases or whatever are closed. And we're not seeing that but, but also, in this instance. Rishi Sunak appointed Dominic Rabb as deputy prime minister in October. Uh, yeah, after knowing all this. So here's the here's that follow-up question. R- this is an open secret. Everyone knows. And this again, this piece here, this is from the Times. Yeah. This piece here suggests that everybody knew about Mr. Rabb's behavior yeah. in Whitehall. Everyone mm-hmm. dreaded the fact that he was taking over various departments because his behavior was so well-known. So if Rishi Sunak, Sunak knew this, his denial this week is that he didn't realize there were formal complaints against him when he appointed him. Oh, yeah, formal ones make it they cross the line. <laughs> but, but that is the question. Surely Rishi Sunak knew about this when he gave him the job in October, yeah. and now he's just going to have to sack him too. Right, but this isn't the first time we've seen Sunak giving someone a job when they know there is breaches of codes or uh, complaints or anything like that. This is a repeating pattern in a very short leadership. Um, so obviously he knew that Rab was a bully. It was it was an open secret. Um, but I guess it's just the fact that it that it's a, he has got a name, right? He's got like Rab is just a recognizable name, and he's willing to butter butter up who whichever leader happens to be leading so he got given a good role it's it's more weakness from an from an from a yet another weak tory leader we haven't had a strong one in a long time <laughs> indeed okay let's move on let's go to the other side of the pond and one of the biggest stories over the last 10 days or so it's the story of tyree nichols oh, who's the 29 year old father who just yesterday his funeral was held after he died three days following being beaten by police after a traffic stop so the video was released of this i I don't know if you've seen it james i watched i did watch it yeah because i wanted to see it yeah and it is i didn't want horrendous so five officers from this uh scorpion unit in memphis on various, whether it's body cams, it's CCTV footage, they essentially beat this guy to death with, whether it's batons, it's pepper spray, he's being brutally punched in the face, kicked while he's on the ground, hit by the officers, and three days later he died in hospital. That footage was published about a week ago, and his family, credit to them, were saying, look, let's just peacefully protest, this is awful, but let's not cause carnage here yeah. and there has been i believe now five of them 
charged with second-degree murder, with assault, kidnapping, yeah. misconduct, oppression. None of them have entered a plea yet. Uh, two of them have uh, said, or their lawyers have said, they will contest the charges. But once again, the video is damning, and it's really difficult to watch. So, yeah. once again, James, this is... Uh, stirred up a lot of the feelings of previous cases. Of course, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor being two of the most high profile. The slight difference here, though, is that all the five officers were black. Right. Rather than in the George Floyd case, which was very much more focused on the race of the officers who were, if I recall correctly, largely white. Yes. So... This is ongoing. There have been a lot of high-profile figures getting involved. The funeral was huge turnout, and yeah. the uh, sentiment in Memphis is clearly raising a lot of tensions on, on both sides of, of the aisle here. So okay. just your overall take on, on this and the fact that, once again, we are talking about police in America on this occasion yeah. killing somebody again. The response from the police leadership in this instance was fast because we talked about or I I think we I briefly mentioned the arrests of the officers last week before the footage was was even out. Mm-hmm. So the response was get trying to get ahead of these the public seeing the footage. They are they are again and it's a horrible word to use but the police are just lucky in this instance that there was no there's nobody there recording with their phone. Yeah, yeah. And that they could control the release of the footage and respond to it first, fire the officers, arrest the officers, um, who obviously just murdered a dude. Yeah. And it's not even like they murdered a dangerous guy. It's not somebody who was like who had a weapon on them. It's somebody who they nope. ambushed in a traffic stop, terrified to the to the degree that he felt unsafe and 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 fled and the video and he's they, calling over his mum as well yeah chased him down to uh, like 100 yards from his home from his mother's home and then just beat him and if you haven't seen the footage i i honestly don't even recommend seeing it yeah yeah it it's awful um and it's it's uh it is and as you say another instance in a long story of police brutality in America with the one major difference that a lot of uh, conservative media is focusing on that it was five black police police officers and I guess there was there were some EMTs and stuff that have also lost their jobs and maybe been charged with stuff. A couple of deputy officers who turned up have also been suspended. Yeah. yeah so there's more than just the five involved in this um, but <laughs> Just to counter that talking point, where it's like, well, obviously it's not a race problem. Uh, black people in America, I'm not obviously black or from America, so I'm speaking from what I have learned. Sure. Uh, they are they are taught that all cops are cops, right? There's not a race. It's not like there's black cops and white cops. There's just cops. Okay. And they're all dangerous for black people. And... That is reflected in the slogan that you'll have seen on a lot of branding and a lot of hashtags, uh, where it's all cops are bastards, right? It's not nobody's saying white cops are bastards ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a complete recognition that there is police brutality from all policemen. Uh, there's a risk, sorry, of police brutality from all policemen and that the rest are probably at a risk of covering it up. Well, as we've talked about, sorry, just on the the fact of the victims as well, obviously this was highlighted a lot 
in the wake of the George Floyd death, but the stats are are damning. The fact that black men yeah. are two and a half times more likely than white men to be killed by police in the States. Yeah, but I also find that focus to be a distraction. I think that much like issues with inequality and much like everything, there's, there's, there's an overall argument of, yeah, like police being especially brutal to one race is obviously the worst. Yeah. But if if they were equally brutal to all the races, that would still be the worst. Oh, for sure, like yeah. If, <laughs> there, there's, there's an overarching problem here that is separate from, from race. Um, and, uh, like, that means that we've got two avenues to try and deal with this, where we can examine why there is racism within police and justice responses, but we can also examine why there is such violence within police well, that, uh, responses in general. We, we see it often, and I know that Police Scotland have their issues here as well, but they have been... Not as much. Of, of course. Not even close. It, but it's, it's totally different. However, they are the ones who are asked to go over to the States and show the police there. Exactly. Here's how we deal with... De-escalation. X, Y, and Z. And, right, de-escalation. And the amount of deaths in custody over the last 10 years, there have maybe been two or three. Sheku Bio, of course, is the, is the one that most people know in Scotland. Yeah. But that's it. That's the only name. And even that's still ongoing as to what actually happened. Because in Scotland, you deal with, or police have been trained to deal with whether it's the most violent offenders without beating or sh- killing yeah. p- people. American police training. So there there must be some, yeah. there's clearly something in the way that these cops are trained. Well, yeah, American police training, we all know, is just very combative. They're, they're taught to view the the person they're they're trying to arrest as like the enemy and a danger and a threat right, right. to the police lives. So they're not taught to see people as like a like potentially a threat to civilian life and then like somebody who needs to be contained and calmed and taken away. But they're 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 taught to like kind of neutralize a threat and especially one to their lives. So they, American police, go everywhere with fear. They go everywhere looking for danger for the personal selves. And that's why you see in all the police reports, like, oh, well, we felt like our lives were in danger, so we, we, killed, we killed them. There's been another instance of it where somebody was just killed for... Because mm-hmm. they were cleaning their dead grandparents' house out, and they got reported for robbery. And the report went through the non-emergency line, but the police showed up fully geared up. And the guy left. Uh, the police said that he drove their car at them, and so they killed him. Ugh. It's, it's, it's a constant pattern of the police just making excuses to feel like they're in danger. And then yep. re- re- the response is, is killing the individual. Whereas in Scotland, the police do often feel in danger, but their response is to kind of control the danger and try and calm down the danger. And... Uh, divert it and 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 handle the situation, and that's obviously what mm-hmm. police in America need, and that requires investment, and that requires investment that doesn't just get spent on more guns and equipment. Yeah. Can we can we can we do a brief side note on the Met Police? Sure. Yeah. Because I believe they've just sent out basically re-recruitment stuff to police officers, which included like what does that mean? police officers who left the force or 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 got asked to leave the force. Um, I saw that the Met, uh, to get their numbers up, have, have invited people to return to the Met, including oh. those who had like bad reports about them and got asked to leave or had to leave. That's bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So just because we were saying they're trying to change things, they are also clearly making mistakes as well right now. Okay, well, let's go back to Scotland. Let's talk about one of the biggest stories of the last week here. Every planned transfer of transgender prisoners in this country have been paused as the Scottish Prison Service carries out an urgent review of its rules after the approval of Tiffany Scott, who was uh, who was found guilty of stalking a 13-year-old girl well known as Andrew Burns, they wanted to be moved to an all-female prison. That was approved, and then it was halted. And it was after, initially, another case, Isla Bryson, a transgender woman who was convicted of rape while she was a man, yep. who Nicola Sturgeon confirmed would no longer be imprisoned in the all-female Cornton Vale prison. Right. So... As a result of both of those cases, uh, the Scottish Prison Service confirmed they are urgently reviewing every case currently managed in their establishments. Uh, Our first concern, they say, is always and remains uh, the health, safety and well-being of everyone in our care, including our staff. We have therefore paused the movement of all transgender individuals until the review has been completed. So, uh, James, this has gone from what was a minor story about the prison service into full-on debates in Holyrood. Yes. And there's a lot to be said, first of all, about the people who are the convicted rapists here. Yeah. Before there is the decision of, okay, well, where are they going? Where's your, what's your overview take, what's your overall take on this? Uh, Sorry, just to throw you that hospital pass. I know, right? Well, the overall take is that Scottish prisons are needing a lot of reform, and that includes reform onto how they decide where transgender prisoners go obviously, because they were already reviewing that. And now they're doing another review of that, but a faster one. Obviously, people who are a danger to the inmates that they are housed with probably shouldn't be housed with those inmates. Okay. They also shouldn't be housed somewhere that they are in danger. That's clear. So if somebody is female presenting, we probably shouldn't put them in a prison full of men who will abuse them. Sure. And this is the problem with prisons in Scotland, the UK, in a lot of places, is that it's all very communal, like a like a den of creatures being kept in spaces where they they don't have right. private safety or anything like that. So to to be clear, just before you go any further, because this context is important, that right. trans women are statistically more likely to be victims of assault and sexual attacks in prison like, than they are to be the perpetrators. It's the the statistics are incredibly biased towards trans people in prison being the victim. Right now, in this instance, we've got some some people who are. Uh, apparently, according to even family, people from previous connections are pretending to be trans to try and lighten their sentence. Yes. So that adds another level of complexity to it, wherein Scottish prisons, and I think UK-wide prisons, they make decisions on where to house trans people on an individual basis. There is no, yeah. this is the rule, you go here, you go here, you go here, because obviously there can't be, because it's a complex spectrum. Okay. And therefore... Everyone needs an individual response. So if people are getting passing those checks that shouldn't be, obviously we need reform and we need to make better decisions. So, but it's a horrible kind of take to try and insist that trans people should be housed in like the prison of their biological sex because that won't work. That will just have more abuse statistically happening. But the difference here is that you've got someone like Isla Bryson who both from the First Minister and one of the victims who've then accused them of 
uh, in the words of Nicola Sturgeon, almost certainly faking yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. being trans. And one of the victims saying that uh, Bryson was pretending to be trans to make their life easier. Exactly. So, and so how? So the argument there would be that if they're, if they're pretending, then they should go to a, a male prison rather than go to a female prison. Yeah. Even if they're a trans woman. So, yes. Because if somebody's pretending to be trans to get a lighter sentence and they go to a male prison, if they're pretending, it won't be harmful to them to stop pretending and be a male prisoner. But how can you tell if someone's pretending in this in this case? Exactly. And that's why and that's why we need the reform and the investigations and like an actual procedure right, right, that's right. working. Because clearly the current procedures aren't working. They were already being investigated for why they weren't good enough and now they're being double investigated for why they're not good enough and that's a it's a good thing to keep reforming the way we treat our prisoners because they they also are human beings yeah for sure and we're trying to bring them back into society after after they've served their uh, their time and they've reformed that's the point of prisons to change people to make them yes a a reformed citizen so if our system isn't doing that, we need to constantly be changing it. And our system already wasn't doing that. We've got prisoners dying. We've got, like, unnecessarily. We've got prisoners getting uh, addicted to, to harmful drugs unnecessarily. We've got prisoners coming out of prison uh, w- with, like, horrible mental health unnecessarily. All these things. Yep. So we need huge systemic reform. And in a lot of cases, when there is individuals who we don't know where to put them, we should probably have individual solutions. But that would cost taxpayer money, so people don't want to do that. Right. On, on the point of rehabilitation, because that is one that is often ignored, and I, this goes for everybody who is currently incarcerated, because for those of you who, who know me, you'd know that before the pandemic, I was heavily involved with Govan Free Church. Right. And the majority of people who went to that church were former prisoners, Right. Former addicts, people who had done some of the most heinous crimes you could possibly think of, including murder. And one of whom, who was a convicted murderer, was turned out to be a, a good friend of mine. Because after 15 years of leaving prison, he was in his early 50s, he had turned his life around. He was being someone who could see that the thing he did when he was 21 was abhorrent. It was the you know the worst decision he ever made. Yeah. And was able then, after being rehabilitated, was able to be put back into society. Now, I know that's a very tough sell for a lot of people, particularly if you've had, as I've had, a close encounter with whether it's a friend who's been involved in a very serious crime, be that uh, the victim of a sexual assault, a rape, or, yeah, God forbid, murder too. And so that is something which is often ignored because ultimately we want to hammer certain people in society who perhaps end up in, uh, as prisoners. But I agree with you. There has to be a focus on rehabilitating whether it is the actual worst offenders in prisons across Scotland, because rather than just writing them all off, there has to be some sort of way of helping people, regardless of how they identify or if they are faking, as we often find, and as we're currently seeing in a high-profile case in Dundee, someone who's pleading insanity for two of the most horrendous murders I've ever read about. Yeah. There are people whose job it is to figure out if someone is faking being mentally ill or someone is faking insanity. Yeah. Or if someone is, in this instance, yeah. pretending to be trans. And, and obviously... It matters a lot to people because we're, ta- we're talking about 
two, double digits, like less than 20 people in total who are trans and in prison right now. There are 15 trans prisoners in a, yeah, so people out are, of six and a half thousand. Obviously care about this a lot. And if you're going to examine the trans prisoners and therefore trans people with a very close eye and you're going to look at every aspect of their being, I would also encourage people to be examining the words and actions of the people who are talking very loudly about this issue because I have seen uh, one BBC article that I remember uh, reading about like this the entire s- story is they're interviewing and platforming someone who who lied um, about the effects that such a thing as a gender recognition certificate would have on a case like this where it wouldn't and they pretended that it would be a, a guarantee and a, and a very helpful one um, who who says that they are just wanting to protect women, but our prisons currently abuse women and currently house women in such bad conditions that yeah. I think I think there was a story of a woman like chewing her arm to the bone while being like oh taken into prison and and housed, uh, awaiting whatever is, uh, processes are going on. So mm-hmm. if we care about women, especially women in prison, we got to reform the, everything about the prisons right now and stop like targeting the overly politicized transgender argument and acting like there's one threat and it to women and it's trans people so if we're investigating and and examining the trans side of any debate i would also investigate and examine the people who are asking for it to be so closely looked at because i i find that the reporting is so unfair and it platforms straight up lies and just doesn't even question those lies. I did. I did. I watched a BBC report in it as well, where they talked about the case for a bit, and then the reporter mentioned, like, "Oh yeah," and the gender recognition certificate would have no effect on this, and then moved on. Yeah, yeah. So they just they said it briefly on the air, but they don't, haven't said it in their in like some of the reports that they write about it. it. Like the 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 debate is huge, and people care a lot, but yeah, they only seem to care about one side, and it's the side that is manufacturing fear. Well, it's the side that statistically is 0.1% of the population, or actually 0.03, if my math is correct, of the prison population. What about everybody else? Right. Um, we, we need absolute prison reform in Scotland as it is. And if we've got a measurable percentage of, of people in prison who are trans, we probably need a solution for people in prison who are trans that isn't just Oh, are you a, are you a, like a biological male or a biological female? Please, and then like harm. We need we need better solutions and better discussions than I'm seeing. Okay, James, let's move on. Let's talk about strikes because we have had the biggest day of strikes in a decade across the UK where more than half of schools in England either had restricted attendance or closed entirely on Wednesday because teachers among university staff, train drivers, bus drivers, civil servants, they all walked out, Mm -hmm. most of them taking action over pay, not keeping pace with inflation. So estimates on school closures show that, yeah, based on the attendance from about 8 out of 10 schools across England, that less than half, only just uh, about 4 in 10, were fully open, Mm -hmm. and the rest were either closed or, yeah, restricting attendance. So clearly having a big impact on the day-to-day lives of ordinary people in Britain 
And what do we think's happened in the latest talks? Uh, <laughs> latest round of talks? No, nothing. 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 Yeah, so we've had the schools minister, Nick Gibbs, saying the government was taking negotiations very seriously and wanted a well-rewarded profession. But uh, ah, yeah, uh huh. That has failed to be reflected in the talks, according they to mean reward like unions, like emotional rewards. Like <laughs> you feel good that you did a job. We're proud of you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we can clap. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. So most of these teachers had a five uh, percent pay rise in 2022 in England and Wales, but unions say that this amounts to a pay cut since inflation has been rapidly over 10 percent for almost a year. And in Scotland, teachers are still on strike. We had a couple more council areas striking this week. Uh, Teachers here have rejected a 5% increase. And this, according to most teachers, it seems to have been their only option. Go on strike. I mean, yeah. They'd rather be in school. They'd rather be helping the kids. But actually, they've got to look out for themselves, for their profession, and to be paid the way that they should be and (laughs) ought to be paid. For educating our next generations. Yeah, which is obviously going to help us all be have a better life if we've got well-educated <laughs> next generation. Yeah. For sure. Man. But again, we're still talking about strikes. I know, because nobody's actually fairly negotiating with them um, because the country is completely stuck in an idea that we shouldn't be taxing wealthy people and therefore we can't afford anything because the wealthy people have most of the money and most of the assets and most of the properties right. and most of the income and then we, we're stuck. They don't even call it income when they're wealthy. It's gains. Well, talking of gains... It's such a simple solution. Like, I'm sorry, but it really is. We used to tax wealthy people. Yep. Even Thatcher taxed wealthy people more than we do. We used to tax them. And now we don't. Mm-hmm. Ever since we didn't, things have gotten worse. <laughs> when we used to tax them, things steadily got that is true. better. How about we try taxing them again? And talking of things getting worse, a new report from the International Monetary Fund this week has found that the UK economy will shrink and perform worse than other advanced economies, including Russia. Including Russia. As the cost of living (laughs) continues to hit households. So the IMF said the British economy will contract by more than half a percent in 2023, rather than its previous prediction of growing slightly. Slightly. Um, In this report, the IMF said it thinks the UK is now on the right track Uh after the car crash of September last year with Quasi Corting and Liz Truss. Oh, yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. And yes, once again, if you look at the graphs and the stats here, it is damning. UK with uh, the only one of these advanced economies to shrink this year, including Germany, Italy, France, USA, Canada, Japan, China, and even Russia, which is... Staggering. Yeah, Russia, who have a, who are who are going through their own like their voluntary war, and therefore received incredible amounts of sanctions, are doing better than we are under the Tories. <laughs> like this should be a party ending kind of scenario, right? And I know that the IMF are going like, oh, but we're back on track. Twenty twenty four, you might you might get a decent bit of growth. Uh-huh. You know what makes growth kind of easy is if you shrink before it. <laughs> I don't really give anyone credit if you like shrink a bit and then kind of like, oh, go back to where you were. Kind of, let's just like go back a wee bit to where we were. That's growth. Um, and yeah, I think the growth that on like the predicted growth twenty twenty four is is apparently looking fine, but. Under the current system, fine is where we, where, what we've been experiencing, which is endless amounts of the government pretending that we can't afford things, yep. um, giving more and more money to wealthy people, uh, sending more and more uh, resources to the 1% instead of like 
making anything for the middle, e middle, lower, and even sometimes upper classes reasonable. Th this isn't like us versus people who get paid six figures. This is us versus people who have trillions and billions, you know? Yeah. And they're just getting scot-free. And it's us versus massive corporations who just continuously invest and expand and grow because they've got such low taxes that they can afford to, but none of it benefits us, like the population. And that's what is normal. So on top of that being normal, and that's good growth for the UK apparently, this year is going to be a shrink. Oh, and also... Which nobody else has managed to do. <laughs> the uh, the report here from the IMF, it highlighted, yeah, the cost of living crisis, but also Britain's over-reliance on gas. And what about Brexit? Without storing it, of it's course. It's been now three years. January 31st, I believe, was the official uh, leaving Brexit Day anniversary. Oh, man, yeah. I am failing to think of a single person outside of Jacob Rees-Mogg who is still flying the Brexit flag. I mean, I think there's people who are flying the we-need-to-Brexit-harder flag, basically. Oh, I'm sure. Their argument is that we just didn't Brexit good enough and we need to try harder and therefore we'll, it will work out next time. Um... The, I saw reports talking about how Brexit is costing us hundreds of billions per year, statistically, which, you know, sounds like a contributor to a shrink, <laughs> maybe. Like, I'm not even angry because I just don't have any anger left. I'm sad because I know that there's going to be hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people in the UK that will suffer because the Tory party uh, had the worst ideas for how to cling on to power and benefit themselves and their friends. Okay. And it is going to be a lot of suffering for a lot of people. And I'm just sad at this point. Okay, let's go to the States and talk about the news which has been dominating headlines and also the skyline above Montana yeah. over the last couple of days. An alleged spy balloon <gasps> spotted over the US is apparently, according to the Chinese, a civilian airship which has deviated from its planned route. Ah, yes. This is off uh, six minutes ago. We're recording this on Don't Friday afternoon. Hyped up. US defense officials yesterday said that they believe this balloon, which is above commercial airline altitudes, Very high up, was yeah. a high-altitude surveillance device. Mm -hmm. But in a statement, and they hadn't shot it down, they were just monitoring it. Yeah. In a statement, China's foreign ministry said it was used for mainly meteoro meteorological purposes yeah, yeah. and that they regret the unintended entry of the balloon into U.S. Sure. airspace. The object itself flew over Alaska and through Canada before appearing over the city of Billings, Montana on mm -hmm. Wednesday. And Montana is home to some of the U.S.'s nuclear missile silos. So the U.S. thought, I mean, hey, yeah. that looks like a spy balloon. China have said it's right. a balloon for the weather. Yeah. And it blew off course. I mean... So who's, who's right? Either way, it doesn't actually make um, a difference to the world. Like, satellites exist, you know? <laughs> right? Satellites are very good, and there's a lot of those, and they do a lot of spying, and every single country is, like, hiding things from satellites. So, like, a balloon is just kind of like a satellite, but a lot closer. And if a thing is hidden from the satellites, it's probably hidden from the balloon as well, because it is a, it's got the same field of view, you know, down. Right, uh, right. So I'm pretty sure the, the, the United States aren't worried at all. If it is a spy balloon, then it's just like a flex. They're just like, it, it is just a little bit of an increase in the dial of like, oh, these, these nations have a bit of tension. But we've been doing that for so long that I don't care. 
There's just so much tension in the world all the time. What's a balloon? <laughs> right. But it's the fact that it was in a particular place that the US has some pretty sensitive right, stuff. But, but also, satellites. I was thinking, if, if, the, if the balloon is that high, uh, and this is, again, my primitive right. primitive knowledge of how these things work, I thought that camera must be pretty good if it's, what, 40,000 feet in the air, 50,000 feet in the air, yeah. and it's being able to take pictures of nuclear silos yeah so from a balloon? like they might get like a slightly a few more pixels of like what the what the setup looks like around the nuclear site but there's no way that it's going to give them any actual usable knowledge that just a normal satellite couldn't the cameras are very good these days they can take pictures that show you a lot of detail from space so of course the balloon being closer if it's got similar cameras will give them more detail but they might just be able to see like oh, there's just some grass i guess i don't know because like the overall structure is just gonna be the same yeah. they're not gonna get any secrets okay let's continue talking off tension all the time the doomsday clock making its annual appearance on this show because oh, the balloon did have an effect yes the scientists who are in charge of this humanity doomsday we're all gonna die clock have moved it they have moved it to 90 seconds to midnight yes which is 10 seconds closer than it was last january so this panel has warned that the continued existence of humanity is at greater risk than ever Mm -hmm. largely as a result of russia's invasion of ukraine oh we Mm -hmm. didn't talk about the fact that putin allegedly uh, threatened boris johnson with a missile do you hear that? I did not hear oh, that. Do you not? Oh gosh, I need to. Yeah, I got like a whole BBC News alert ping for this thing. But anyway, I'll, I'll come. I'll come back to that in a minute once I ask you about this. So this uh, bulletin of the atomic scientists—they set their clock to ninety seconds to midnight. It's the closest it's been there since uh, since the clock first started in nineteen forty-seven. So yeah, that's where it is now. At. It was at 100 seconds to midnight for the last three years, but now this uh, war in Ukraine, that's what they're blaming on humanity moving closer to catastrophe. I mean, yeah, sounds pretty valid. There have been occasional threats of nukes and stuff like that, so yeah, feels like we're like 10 seconds closer to death. Wait, when, when was the last time it wasn't like a minute away, you know? Well, no, I don't so remember I'm, anymore. No, I'm looking at uh, the the various because they've got some previous clock hands here. All right, yeah, n- like ninety ninety eight so, was the last one I would have maybe remembered. Ninety one, the end of the Cold War. It was at seventeen minutes to midnight. Yeah. Nineteen ninety eight, after India and Pakistan had exchanged nuclear tests, it was at nine. North Korea conducting conducting its first nuclear test in two thousand and six, it went to five. Yeah, I remember that one. With climate change, nuclear weapon modernizing in twenty fifteen, it went to four. And then twenty eighteen, with climate change and failure of world leaders to address really all these various threats, including nukes, twenty eighteen moved to two, and then twenty twenty it moved to yeah a hundred seconds another 10, another after 10. yeah 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 the erosion of nuclear arms control and still the inadequate response to climate change. Like surely it's just going to keep going ten seconds and ten seconds until it's going one <laughs> second and one second until it's going like half a second, half a second. You know, yeah. it, things are only going to be getting worse for a long time. Well, here's here's my theory, is that when they started the clock, it was never intended to go to midnight. No. It was just meant to be like a significant... A, gen- hey, everybody, like a general look, indicator of the stress. The world's in trouble. So yeah, yeah, by yeah. the time, when you, with the creation of the clock, it was never intended to get to one second to midnight. It was just meant to be, uh, okay, guys, watch out. So you're right. This, it's going to get to a point where they're thinking, we're going to have to start splitting these seconds. We're 74 seconds to midnight. Watch out, people! They're gonna get like a they're gonna get a, 
a, another another hand on the clock for like the for like the milliseconds. Indeed. Okay. Well, I did mention Putin and Boris. So this was from four days ago. Right. Yeah. Okay. Boris Johnson uh, said or has alleged that Vladimir Putin threatened him with a missile strike sure. in a phone call in the run up to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Uh, the then Prime Minister said Mr. Putin told him it would only take a minute. Uh-huh. Mr. Johnson said that the comment was made after he warned invading Ukraine would be an utter catastrophe. Yes. Uh, the Kremlin's spokesperson said it was a lie. This was a claim made in a BBC documentary, by the way. Did they validate the claim? Mr. Johnson said, well, it doesn't sound like it. Kremlin said it was a lie. Mr. Johnson's quote here is, he threatened me at one point. He said, Boris, I don't want to hurt you, but with a missile, it would only take a minute. Or something like that. Jolly. Right. I mean, it's believable. <laughs> right. But I don't believe Boris. But it sounds like the kind of thing he would say. It does sound like something Putin would say, but before the before the war... That would have been reported, I think. <laughs> Boris would have used that to like make him himself himself popular. Surely, he like everyone had told him not to, but he would have said it, right? Everyone would be like, Boris, don't <laughs> don't tell the world that that was said. That would that's really risky, and it will make everybody feel on edge. And Boris would be like, mm. oh, but it makes me seem like a man. Well, he kept it to himself, and uh, yeah, here we are. Apparently, one final story before we move on. Let's talk about the amount of disgusting profits that uh, oil companies have made. So Shell have reported the highest annual profits in their history after energy prices surged last year after Russia invaded Ukraine. Profits hit $39.9 billion in 2022, which is double last year's total and the highest in its history. And ExxonMobil, who are similarly in the oil and gas world, they turned a profit of $56 billion, which is around about $6.3 million an hour. Yeah. Which is yeah. disgusting, yeah. No, I'm g- frankly. And what's happening is that governments around the world are like, hey, clap, clap. Where, how can we, how can we tax this? And Shell and everyone else says, well, well, no, you wanted us to make lots of money, and so we did. Yeah, exactly. So uh, actually, we didn't, we didn't make any of the money in the UK, which I guess technically they didn't. So therefore, you can't tax us here, and because we're based in the Cayman Islands or anywhere else, Jersey, Guernsey, and the tax is way yeah, more moved, there. They've moved the, to the UK, which means <laughs> to one of our tax havens. Yeah, and so therefore you can't tax us as much. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's absolutely heinous that you can be it is capitalizing on the invasion of another country. Yeah, and turning a combined profit of a hundred billion dollars. That is. Yeah. Absolutely immoral, yeah. isn't it? I mean, yeah, I, I would I would make the suggestion pretty confidently that in a global crisis, corporations should struggle. Sure. Logically, they should struggle. And then also, like, ethically, it is the corporations that should struggle, not people, not individuals. Instead, they took advantage of global catastrophe, like COVID and war, to pretend that the prices needed to go up on everything they faked it to an incredible degree i would have accepted some price raises to kind of balance the books and make sure they didn't make catastrophic losses right but obviously it's just another industry that faked it so they could make a lot of profit and this has been repeated in tons of industry the food the food industry is doing the same thing yeah food prices are going crazy high and it is Pretend. Now, if, if this next story here that I want to bring up was a Russell Brand video, 
um, because of his turn into right right wing grifting. What on earth happened? It would be called "They Knew All Along." Dot dot dot. <laughs> and here's the story: Pfizer made thirty seven billion last year. Yeah. Mainly thanks to its COVID vaccine. I mean, obviously. And then this year... They've raised the price. <laughs> ...has uh, forecasted another bumper year thanks to its COVID pill, well, and, Paxlovid, which I've never heard of. And they're raising the price of the vaccine. They are indeed, yes. Yeah. So this is another example of, as you talked about there, big corporations cashing in on a crisis. Yeah. And, like, and yeah, this, this is, sadly, for people who perhaps are realising that there are some parts of capitalism which are very, very bad... Here's a great example, because the maker of the vaccine that, yep, saved millions of lives, great stuff, you still made a disgusting amount of money. Yeah. And that's, it's wrong and it's unethical. Like, I get it. You want to reward people for doing good things. The reward should be proportionate. And it should definitely go to the employees. For sure. Far more than it goes to the, like, to... Uh, bonuses and to payouts and to share buybacks, which is a crazy thing that should be illegal. It's disgusting how easy governments across the world have made it to for corporations to take advantage of not just their workers, but the world. For sure. And on a side note, uh, if you look at the tech industry, we're seeing massive amounts of layoffs right now. Even like high up engineers losing their jobs in companies that are not making losses. Yeah, yeah. Microsoft firing thousands of people, Google thousands, uh, Amazon thousands. I think Apple just haven't hired anyone. They haven't fired anyone. They maybe did a bit of both and balanced the books. Um, They're one of the only ones who isn't. And none of these companies are making losses. They're not making less money than before. They're just not making as much more money than before as they would like to. So they're firing people because they're not making enough more money. They're growing just not fast enough. So they're firing people. That should not be seen as a thing that can be done. People's jobs shouldn't be at risk because they are doing a good job, but just not an excellent job. Especially when they can't, they can't do it. They can't do the excellent job. It's management that's the problem. It's the, it's, it's the whole system that's the problem. Yeah. Nothing could have made Google grow this year to the degree that they wanted to. It's crazy. It's, it's awful. We are, we are being led by evil people. But also, it's the fact that the, the people who are making the most money, if they change the rules, they would make less money, so they don't want to. That's it. They don't want, yeah, they don't want to. I, I get it. They're just incredibly selfish. Uh, probably mostly narcissist, but I wouldn't be surprised if the diagnosis for them was incredibly huge and complex. I don't think there is a single billionaire, trillionaire, massive business owner who who wouldn't have a legitimate diagnosis of you're a danger to society if they got a genuine therapist involved. Because you have to be bad to be this successful in capitalism. You have to be a bad person. And again, yeah, again, it's not the fact that they made a profit. That's fine. People need to make profit. They need to make money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's the fact that they made so much profit. That's my problem with it. Through and through through bad means as if as well. And not rewarding their employees. Okay, James, let's move on. Let's talk entertainment as we wrap up the show. I'm going to save our reviews for last because I want to talk about, seeing as we are talking about uh, 
capitalism. Mr. Beast, have you seen this news? Oh, yeah, yeah, I saw it. Yeah, Twitter didn't like it. Twitter did not like it. This is the... Twitter is idiot. ...most popular YouTuber in the world right now. He's got more subscribers or more views than anybody else. Mm-hmm. Mr. Beast, who I believe his original name is Jimmy. <laughs> and... I've enjoyed his videos in the past. He does some some fun stuff. I haven't. Lots. Of, well, it's just the sort of silly. Hey, let's drop things from a high height and see which things explode a car. Some of those or, are hey, fun. Or yeah, hey, yeah, let's yeah. do Squid Game for real okay. and see who can survive. Or hey, you have to do all these silly challenges, and if you win, then you get a jet. Yeah. These sorts of things, which I mean, yeah, they do well, and yeah. he's charismatic. He comes across well. Most of them are exploitative, though. Most of them. right, okay, and this is the problem with this latest video. So on Sunday, right, he posted a video where he paid, and he got all the content for it. He paid for a thousand patients to undergo cataract surgery to cure their blindness, which should be affordable. So right. On the, the start of the video, he's like, hey, everybody, today I'm going to pay for a thousand people to cure their blindness. Here we go. And then there's lots of people like cheering and clapping. <laughs> yeah. Hello, children. And then, and then there's all the reaction videos. <laughs> Do you know your parents' bank card details? Of the the tissue paper being taken off people's eyes. And like, wow, I can see. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And uh, then, of course, the inevitable criticism came in because the stunt right. drew, as you highlighted there, some pretty mixed reactions. Number one. Why would you do this for content if you really wanted to help people? If it was like, a, well, hey, I'm doing this for charity. The second one, which Mr. Beast himself actually questioned, he said, well, why Why right. is the surgery so ex- expensive? Because Exactly. That's the real one. It's going to help. Surely this is helping people. This is a good thing. I did a good thing. Yeah. So it's almost like he realized, oh, hold on a second. There's a whole industry here that needs to make money. So okay. what's your take on all this? Primary, like initial take. This should be an impossible video to make because people shouldn't have to pay that much money to get cataracts. Totally agree. So this agree. video shouldn't be possible. Three and a half grand, apparently. Exactly. So ideally, this video never got made because it wasn't possible. It wasn't content. He couldn't have even found one person to pay for it. But yeah, yeah. there is a system in America that is disgusting and makes it really difficult to afford healthcare. And therefore, somebody with a lot of money using some of that money to pay for it is valid and a good thing. It still is exploitative to a degree when the individuals that are in the video are getting compensated not enough, in my opinion. Never enough, in my opinion. Well, it's it's very much like, a, hey, we're going to cure your blindness, but you have to be filmed and we're going to put it on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Would they have cured? Would he have cured the blindness of people if it wasn't going on YouTube? I don't know. I have not talked to him. He he, he seems like he wants to do well. Yep. But the problem is he's wanting to do well again in a capitalist society where to be successful, you have to be exploitative. And his videos are. And his whole uh, business model is, even if it is philanthropic to some degree, like many millionaires, billionaires and trillionaires are. They, they do some philanthropic things so they seem good Uh, i don't like the take that hey if he wanted to do it why didn't he do it in private because he wouldn't be able to do it with if it wasn't his business right (laughs) right 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 (laughs) that's just not a nuanced take that is useful where you're like hey person who records doing things for a living 
Um, why don't you just not record them? Don't record it. It's like, well, then the living would go away, and then. So, so what's the what's the option then? Does he just not do anything? Honestly, for a lot of Mr. Beast's uh, content, he needs to get um, more scientists involved and more experts involved. Um, he doesn't do that. He gets involved in projects that, when you talk to experts about them, the experts say like, ah. You could have done a lot more for a lot less. You know, you could have done much more with this money, but so so you're doing a subpar job. Right, right, right. And I'm not saying if you're doing a subpar job, don't do it, but I would encourage him to do a good job. But it's just the good job maybe wouldn't make as much revenue for him and his business, and he wouldn't be able to put as much aside for himself. Okay. And it would be a little bit less of a turnover over time, even if the same amount of good or more good was getting done. So there's a lot of nuance here, but overall, the whole system is exploitative. But the problem is the fact that you have to be exploitative to be successful. Fair enough. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about DC Comics or the DC Universe, I should say, because James Gunn and Peter Safran, who are the co-heads of the big rival to Marvel, have announced a huge slate of TV shows and movies called Chapter One in uh, the DCU. So, as we talked about before, Henry Cavill is gone, Dwayne The Rock Johnson is gone, all the names that we saw before, most of the names that we saw before, are now banished to a previous DC era. And we have lots of new titles. So, apparently, The Flash, which is this new movie coming out, I think, this year, is going to, in uh, James Gunn's words, reset the entire DC universe. Yes. So, that will involve some sort of, I guess, alternate universe shift that The Flash does. He's going to run really fast, and it's going to be... It's going to go back in time. Right, basically. And so this news kicks off uh, Chapter 1, yeah. which uh, James Gunn has called Gods and Monsters. And among these movies, we've got a new Superman film coming out in 2025, being written by James Gunn. Mm-hmm. We've got The Authority, mm-hmm. which is apparently a group of superheroes. It sounds a bit like Guardians of the Galaxy. Brave and the Bold, bit, yeah. which is a story about Damian Wayne, who is Bruce Wayne's son, who's playing Robin. Which sounds interesting. Yep. And among other things, Supergirl, Swamp Thing, Creature Commandos, Waller, which is a spin-off of Amanda Waller, Lanterns... Well, a peacemaker tie-in. Paradise Lost, which is about uh, the land of Wonder Woman and apparently will have a lot to do with Game of Thrones or a lot of tie-ins with Game of Thrones. So loads of stuff that's been announced. Right. Of course, we're, we're far away from any cast announcements or anything like that, but... Sounds like they have some sort of plan to take on Marvel, but I'm unsure if getting rid of all the people that people liked uh, was the right way to go about it. What'd you think? I mean, I think fresh start is 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 fine. We've been telling DC to do things different for a long time, and I don't think you can really do things different if you just keep the same okay. actors who are just way older than they were when you started the story for the first time. Because if you want to restart, you want to go back to like the fresh-faced ones and then age them up and make them more world-wise over time. You can't really do that if you've already done that, you know? Um, so I get it. I think it's a good mix. Uh, see out the rest of these films and then start things over with a coherent vision for the entire universe, whereas previously it was kind of not really coherent what the vision was for the entire universe. Um I like that their goal, as far as I've seen, is to make interesting films and not just kind of be a formula. Yeah, sure, sure. And I hope that they don't end up just being a formula because I, I, I do like Gunn and I like when he makes the first film in New Things. 
but he tends to kind of listen to the memes a little bit <laughs> and his characters become memes a little bit right, over right, time. Right. So if he's in charge of the story and the whole universe, I hope we don't just see a degradation into listening to the memes okay. for everything, which would be my main concern. But no, like he seems passionate about the project. He seems passionate about a lot of the stories. He he's like he's t- he's he's helming a lot of them directly and then um being involved more loosely in other ones. HBO are going to be taking in some of the shows, so that's a pretty high standard usually. Uh, so it looks kind of promising. I, I would I would, I will probably watch things and enjoy things if I can find a way to do it on the internet. Okay, talking off other big names, let's talk about Rick and Morty because Justin uh, Roiland, who is the co-creator, yes. executive producer, and the voice actor for both Rick and Morty, mm-hmm. is now no longer part of the show. He's been kicked off uh, yeah, booted, by yeah. Warner Brothers Discovery yeah. because he's been charged with some serious domestic violence allegations, including, uh, let's see here, he has been charged with one felony count of domestic battery with corporal injury, one felony count of false imprisonment by menace, violence, fraud, and or deceit. Uh, this uh, allegedly happened in 2020, and he pleaded not guilty to the charges later that year, but now this has been made public. It was uh, a sealed case, and then January 12th, so just about three weeks ago, it was published. So now he is required to attend a hearing in April, and he is gone. He's off the show. So Warner Brothers have said that this uh, Rick and Morty will continue, because as we talked about many years ago, they paid for and signed them to a 70-episode deal right? lasting 10 seasons, and they've right. just finished season six. So they've got yes. four more seasons to go, and they've said that um, they're just going to recast yeah, the voice will. actors I mean, and continue. It's a flexible show. I'm, I'm, the, the like over time, uh, they brought on more writers and different writers. Um, so one of the leads, I'm sure, is like a little bit replaceable. Uh, I am glad that they've just booted them. You know, Royland deserves to disappear. Yep. Uh, the things that are coming out about him make it clear he needs to be gone and not involved in any projects and uh, hopefully reforming his life um, through whatever means is deemed necessary. I, I saw some creepy screenshots that he'd sent to girls on Twitter. Yeah, well. apparently jokes, but I was really not seeing the funny part in, in them at all. Um, yep. So get get rid of him, replace him. Um, I, I, like I doubt the show will be exactly a one-for-one one feel, but you know, these, these large shows with big... Big, big money and uh, lots of people in the team. They can kind of fill in blanks, um, and they can. I'm sure they will write in some vague joke to explain why everyone sounds a little bit different or whatever, and it'll be yeah adequate. Yeah. But no, like it's just it, I haven't even watched the more recent seasons because as much as I liked the early ones, it it kind of got stale over time. Um, maybe I'll give a, a new season a go. If if I hear that it feels more fresh now, uh, overall, I'm just glad that somebody who is not a good person is not getting publicly rewarded for their 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 creativity and stuff like that. That's that's always good when somebody who is bad gets removed from things. Okay, let's finish the show with what we've been watching. And James, I'm going to go to you first, and then we'll hear from our listener review, and then I will share what I have wow. watched. So it's over to you. Let me surprise you. I watched 
an anime. anime? I yeah, I did. Don't believe it. A whole season, one whole season of a show, not a long one, twelve-ish episodes, I think it was. It's a show called Okay, Bochi the Rock. Bochi the Rock. Yeah, well, Bochi the Rock. I'm I I, okay. I bad at pronouncing. Okay. Right, and it's about. Uh, you watched it. I did. Haha. <laughs> it's about uh introvert, very socially anxious teenage girl who really likes to play guitar and is very good at it and wants to be in a band but is too nervous to to be cool and be in a band and then they accidentally be in a band okay and it's a story of that happening and then being in the band and learning to play music with people um honestly sounds very light it is and it's not just slice of life light it's not like episodic there's a story there's there's character development um, it, it is a bit quick because it's a short season, so they kind of rush through certain character development, but you know, in a way that works. Sure. Overall, it is arguably my favorite equal show from the last year. Wow. Yeah. So it, it's in line with something like Mob Psycho that I spoke about recently, which was one of my favorite things that's been produced. Um, this very short season, which I think there's season two is confirmed and stuff like that, was just so good for me as a music liker and somebody who tries to make music and doesn't do a good job and learns every time I try seeing that happening and somebody who is very introverted and struggles socially seeing all that and it speaking to me. Um, it was really well done to the degree that I'm there kind of like really emotionally invested in a, a group of people that I do not have any any experience existing in a bunch of teenage girls <laughs> okay um, yep. and not only is it like well done in that way where it's just it delivers what is promised of of really awkward character being in the in a band and playing guitar the the art the art of the show was wonderful they creatively uh, used slightly meta touches in their artwork to uh, talk to the viewer. Uh, they used different mediums. There's there were stop motion things. There was like uh, little miniature miniatures and like loads of like alternate media was used in the anime, which was it's always okay. I I love when people bend a genre a little bit and introduce their own artistic flair a little bit, and it did it perfectly. Um, and obviously, I'm going to say the music was good to the degree that, it, like, they have to write original songs, which is always great. But to the degree that because they're, some of the music is from a band who has never played together before, they made bad music in the show, right? They made music that was just off. And if you're listening, you can hear that the music is off. Okay. They're not just telling you, oh, that wasn't a good performance. They've done the music. They've played their good songs. Badly. Badly really well where it doesn't feel like they're playing their good songs badly deliberately okay <laughs> so the care that was put into the show was incredible um mm-hmm. but i also did cringe the hardest i have ever cringed probably watching a show and it was deliberate and they wanted me to cringe but it was too much for me it was too much cringe for me i'm not going to say when because that would be spoiling right but at one point i was like I, I had to like pause and just be like, oh no, <laughs> I feel that. That's too real. That's too much. Uh, but no, like genuinely, anyone who's like interested in 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 music would like the show. I think purely because of the the way it's tied into music scenes and stuff like that. 
It is a wonderful show. I could talk about it more, but I'll try and stop there. Okay, well, I'm sure you could. Let's move on. Let's hear from our listener review this week. It's Anthony talking about All Quiet on the Western Front. Ah. Yes, the Oscar-nominated movie. Mm -hmm. Seems like almost all of it's in German, uh, painting a realistic picture of the First World War. Here's Anthony. These aren't negotiations. This is a dictator. Maybe we should return to Spa to consult with the general staff. And what expectations do you have for that? Even if we end up losing definitively after all, we won't be worse off than we are with this surrender. Except for a few hundred thousand extra deaths. Alsace-Lorraine, occupation of the Rhineland, cannons, locomotives, trains, and whatever else. You are aware this is a total capitulation. 150,000 Americans are landing each month in Europe. Marne, Cantigny, Cambrai, all of those lost. All that's left separating us from an armistice is false pride as I see it. Thanks to you and your commanders, we're here dealing with the mess that has been left by them. I'm happy for you to depart here. It's down to you. This excerpt from Netflix's war epic All Quiet on the Western Front is probably the best angle to approach the tragedy that was World War I. There's no glory on display in this film. There's no honor, and there are no winners. Just the raw horror that is war on proud display, and the egos of men letting time run out and and the bodies pile up. Now, having read Eric Maria Remarque's book a few times, I thought this was a brilliant screen adaptation. Many of those memorable, grisly scenes from the book are accurately brought to life without a lot of that sanitization or spin found in other um, war films. But probably the best feature of this adaptation is actually the added content not originally found in the book. Throughout the film, there are these cutaways to the forest of Compiègne and the peace talks that took place there aboard a train with French, British, and German generals and representatives. These scenes bring to light the true disconnect between the men making the decisions and the poor soldiers who are merely pawns in this global catastrophe. The juxtaposition, for instance, of the French commander complaining about the staleness of a croissant and the 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 slop that that German soldiers had to eat, all while continuing to fight, speaks volumes. So too, the final battle scene just before the 11th hour is as heartbreaking as it is enraging because it was fueled purely by the ego of those in command who didn't want to go home Mm -hmm. being seen as failures. Now, this film was shot before the Russian invasion of Ukraine, but at least while I watched it, I... I felt that it was definitely a cinematic stance on Russia's wrongful aggression. Though, I suppose if any anti-war film is done right, it can speak to any present conflict. All Quiet on the Western Front is an epic, and it has a runtime of nearly two and a half hours. Though, it's beautifully shot, and you can tell that CGI was used very, very sparingly. Comparing it to other war films of late, it is on the scale of 1917 Mm. and Dunkirk, Mm -hmm. but without any of the inspiration and glory woven in by the directors Sam Mendes and Christopher Nolan. Because of that, however, you will not walk away from this film feeling happy. Uh, If you like war movies, or if you've just been having a little too much joy in your life, um, (laughs) 
give this movie a watch. There we go. If, you got, if, you, if you're just too happy. Yeah, too much joy. If 2023 is just treating you right. Here's the film to ground you again. Yeah. Gosh. Well, thank you very much, Anthony, and everybody else who's listening. You will have watched something. I know you have. Yeah. So let us know what it was and if it was any good and if other people should watch it too. Seesawparade at gmail.com. Written form's fine. Audio is even better. No, that was a good review. It made me comfortable in my in my aims to watch the film because it, it did seem like it was delivering on the ambition. So I'll Certainly. take a trusted review that makes it sound just as horrible but in the right way um okay as a as a, as a big thumbs up and um, I'll, I'll prepare my mind for that someday because like we need to we need to watch things like this that make us reflect on for sure just how much everybody is taken advantage of and mm-hmm. especially in war correct and talking of films that make you miserable i'm going to tell you about tar <laughs> oh great with a, gra- with a grave over the a now, yes. first of all, for the, for the context, this is the Kate Blanchett Oscar-nominated movie. She is up for Best Actress. I believe it's up for Best Picture and a host of other awards. Sound design, sound mixing, all the, the usual ones, which I'm sure it will win. So my main issue, actually, with the film is actually the title. Right. Because it's a silly title. It's named after the main character of the film, uh, Lydia Tarr is the name of the character. But... Okay. It's different to, let's say, if you're doing a film about Elvis and you call it Elvis and people say, oh, I know what that is. Okay. Whereas they see a movie that says Tar with a grav on the A. Right. You're like, what's that? I, I don't know what's well, that. Yeah, what, yeah, okay. What's that? Yeah, okay. So, silly title, but that aside, this. I mean, what, what, would, it, what would you have called it? Anything else. <laughs> call it the, the conductor, the, the orchestra. They're uh, all taken. The, or, orchestral chaos. There's so many different things you could have <laughs> called it. Orchestral chaos. And essentially, it tells the story of Cape Blanchett, who's this very, very <laughs> successful conductor. Uh, who is at the uh, the Berlin Philharmonic, and she's preparing right. for a recording of Mahler's Fifth Symphony, which is like the big pièce de résistance to her career. She's a, yes. a, got a glittering CV of things that she's done before. However, the movie has an undertone okay. of something has gone terribly wrong personally for Miss Lydia Tarr. Okay. And this is drip-fed okay. in... Conversations like side passing conversations, the occasional email, uh, titles of subjects which Kate Blanchett is is uh, surreptitiously checking on her phone, and the camera's like focusing on the subject or some of the the words. And you think, oh, that that looks very suspicious, and then emails are being deleted, and okay. it's a very very slow burn. I think it's a two and a half hour long film okay. in which some of the scenes, which are conversations, That's a lot. play out for like eight nine minutes. And some of it, it's a lot. I think, was done by the screenwriters to to basically show, hey, look how look how long this conversation's going on for. This is unusual, isn't it? Okay. And the other thing it does, which I really disliked, is so wordy. It's such a wordy <laughs> film in an attempt to, I, I guess, like make it seem cleverer than it is. Okay. For example, Kate Blanchett's character will walk off stage after doing a sit-down interview with a New Yorker and she'll say, oh, I was so garrulous. Right. Just presuming that every single person in the audience watching that knows what she means. Right. And this does it, it does it the entire way through the movie. It's filled with such self-importance <laughs> and... So it's writers patting themselves in the absolutely. back. Absolutely. Sorry to say. And it's just got such okay. un, 
unpickable language. It's really dense, really dense stuff. Okay. And it's meant to be, and it's been hailed by some people on the right, particularly in America, as like, oh, this is this is cancel culture at its worst. But essentially, they're they're completely missing the point of the film because the conductor, it turns out, had a uh, let's say they had groomed oh. a younger musician, right? And the musician in this movie had then killed themselves, right? And this is slowly unraveled throughout the film, and at the end of it, you realize this is a terrible person who as we've also seen through the the plot of the movie she's doing the same thing to a new joinee of her orchestra oh. giving her favors uh taking her home doing all sorts of kind of weird and uh, strange things and her behavior gets dramatically worse and worse so okay the the story it's telling is a challenging one and certainly i left right thinking oh well that was unpleasant they were unpleasant. Right. That was too long. Okay. That was too wordy. Right. I felt silly listening to some of those conversations because I had no idea what they were on about. Uh, the scenes were too long and the conversations that were being had were so shrouded in what on earth are you guys talking about that it was almost impossible to follow other than the very basic plot of, okay, there's something going wrong. Right. That being said... Kate Blanchett's magnificent. Get the Oscar. Give her the Oscar. Well, it's between her and Michelle Yeoh. And frankly, yes, as much as I loved everything, everywhere, all at once, I believe Kate Blanchett will and yeah. probably should get it because she's already had one. She, I know, but here's <laughs> here is my test. I stopped. <laughs> You're like, to buy it. I stopped remembering that I was watching Kate Blanchett. I fully believed I was watching Lydia Tarr. And that, to me, right. if an actor can disappear into a role, do an opposite to Tom Cruise, where it's just Tom Cruise, okay. that, to me, is a performance which deserves plaudits. And she is fantastic. Here's the question. And also, she conduct. Sorry, she also conducted, for real, everything in the uh, the movie. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, okay. So, how does a lesser-known actor disappear into a role? I think it helps that they're lesser-known. To start with, because you are... I think they default have, yeah. You are that's a blank I mean. canvas to an audience. They don't know you. So, yeah, that's what I for mean. For example, the, the best example of that is the villain whose name... Uh, it's Barkat Abdi, who is in Captain... Uh, what's that movie called with Tom Hanks? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah Captain yeah, yeah, yeah. something. I know what you're talking about. Oh, I don't know. The one yeah, where basically yeah. Somali pirates take over his ship. You're all shouting out the answers. Captain something. And Barkhad Abdi, I think it was his first performance, and once again, fully convinced that you're watching some Somali pirates, and he got lots of awards exactly. for as a result, whereas you're like, oh, that's Tom Hanks. Doing a good job, but it's still Tom Hanks. Yeah. So part of it is the problem of you're so famous that unless you go under a mountain of prosthetics, a la Colin Farrell in The Batman, people are just going to be like, oh, that's that's Tom Hanks, that's Tom Cruise. However, Cape Blanchett, exception to the rule, fantastic. So if you want to watch it for a good acting performance, do. If you want to save two and a half hours and do something else, do that instead. <laughs> you can listen to this show twice. Okay, James, that's brought us to the end Once of and a half. this. <laughs> indeed, considering the lengthening lengths of these episodes. Thank you very much for listening. You can get in touch. You know how to do that. At Operate, Twitter, Operate at gmail.com. Message either of us individually, and we will share what you've shared with us. And uh, until next time, James, when I come back from the States, be well. Oh, yeah. Man, enjoy. Enjoy yourself. I hope that your walk-on music goes down very well. A storm. A riot. Not, I, well, let's not say storm. Texas has had one too many of those. Okay. It will go down like a nice cup of uh, beer. Exactly. Yeah. Cup of beer. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye.